Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller. And we are so excited to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cameron Clutters, our stalwart barista. And this morning, we've invited our friends Madeline Pesavento from Women's Care Center and Kathy Scanlon from PDHC back into the cafe to continue our conversation on pregnancy help centers. If you missed our earlier conversation with Kathy and Madeline from December 21st, you can, of course, find it on the St. Gabriel Cafe podcast page at stgabrielradio.com. And today we celebrate the patron of our diocese, St. Francis de Sales. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Shall we pray? Let's do it. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for another day, for your goodness and for your blessings. Lord, we ask that you be ever present to us and that we in turn be present to you. Give us hearts that turn to you, minds that come to know you. Help us to just live every day in um, growing, growing closer to you. Lord, we ask that you keep us safe out on the roads today, that you um, just lead us and guide us to, to safety. And we pray for all mothers in need. We pray for all the unborn. We pray for the good fruits of pregnancy centers. Amen. Amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Big incident on 270 this morning, huh? Coming yeah. over from Westerville. Yeah, there really was. It My time getting here jumped about 20 minutes for sure. So, Isn't that awful? A little, I mean, a little more, actually. But when, when you see the time tick up right, on your... It just on kept your... going, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I hope I make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's a blessing to be here. Um, yeah. It seemed like everyone was safe. Good. So... Thank you, Lord, for for keeping everyone safe. Yeah, yeah. For those that are listening to us on 270, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're glad to have you, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's it. St. Francis de Sales, our patron for the diocese. Of course, the author best known as the author of the Introduction to the Devout Life, which is a very accessible and practical spiritual direction uh, aimed at lay people, mm-hmm. which is uh, outstanding because it's for us, right? Directed yeah. to to people in our states of life. One of the speakers at this year's women's conference coming up on Saturday, February 17th, Father John Burns wrote a really nice book. Um, uh, it's a a guided 10-day retreat based on Introduction to the Devout Life called Lift Up Your Heart, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Francis de Sales. Mm. and kind of guides you through the book. Um, again, just very accessible. And for those that aren't, aren't familiar with the Introduction to Devout Life, it, it, it's really all about 
ongoing conversion. So starting at square one, always a good place to begin about how to strip out things from your life that are hindering your pursuit of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into a lot of you know practical things from there on, having a daily prayer life, scripture, um, again, just very accessible. Mm-hmm. When did you read that, Dave? I read Introduction to the Devout Life soon after I came into the church. It was oh. one of the first books. I can't even remember who recommended it. That is quite a way to be formed when you first get into the church. Well, it, the word introduction is, yeah. is what uh, <laughs> is really attracted me. Yeah. Well, okay. but, but it's quite dense, isn't it? It's it's a larger book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little daunting. I mean, <laughs> I'd love to have my introduction be a pamphlet. <laughs> but It's a good manual, though, huh? It's a great manual. <laughs> and then I picked up Father Burns' book on vacation, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. Okay. And uh, again, it's a 10-day introduction to the introduction. It doesn't replace introduction to the devout life, but it's a very good guided meditation. Good As though you were start. sitting down with a spiritual director hmm. to take you through the book. Well, that sounds really nice. Yeah. I was just going to say that Thomas Aquinas considered the Summa Theologica to be also an introduction to this is uh, true. theology and so yeah well um, we have different opinions on what an introduction <laughs> is right doesn't it just make <laughs> you so sad to think wow if that was his introduction i really wonder what he would have written right <laughs> right just, well i lament not having it, that so. no but i've never read introduction to the devout life by saint francis de sales which is a problem um for me mostly because i think it's my wife's favorite spiritual book Mm. Ah. and it was a big part of her coming to take her faith very very seriously and so she's recommended it to me time and time again and I've just never picked it up um so I have a copy now which is great and I just still haven't picked it up (laughs) and so I'm thinking ahead to Lent this year and and maybe I'll make it a part of my Lenten journey to read Introduction to the Devout Life yeah yeah take a look at Father uh, Burns Father John Burns book also I think that's a a good introduction like the, to the introduction. It's like the kiddie pool for the for the big pool or it still goes pretty deep though. I mean it, mm. it's it's very practical again in in having you set time apart, you know, from your day and be reflective and go into prayer with the Lord about those things. And and that's why it's good even from newbie to somebody that's been walking with the Lord um, for years, ongoing conversions so essential. Mm. And through different seasons, through different times, you're always going to pick up some baggage that is unhealthy mm-hmm. or habits that are unhealthy. And a lot of what the sales does is focuses on... Um, what I, I think he calls them the simple virtues. So they're not huge steps. You know, they're, um, I'm looking at my Magnificat. He, the way he describes them, uh, let us make our way through the low valleys of humble little virtues. There will, will we see roses among thorns, charity shining forth amid interior and exterior affliction, lilies of purity and violets of mortification. We ought to love above all these 
all others these three small virtues, meekness of heart, poverty of spirit, and simplicity of life, Mm -hmm. together with those common labors of visiting the sick, serving the poor, and consoling the afflicted. Yet, let it all be done freely and without anxiety. Amen. There's my introduction to the introduction of the introduction. So, <laughs> so, great show ahead of us this morning. We've invited Madeline Pesavento and Kathy Scanlon back into the cafe. In just a few minutes, we're going to continue our conversation on pregnancy help centers. Stay with us. A prayer in devotion to the holy face of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be merciful to us, O my God, and reject not our prayers, when amid our afflictions we call upon thy holy name and seek with love and confidence thine adorable face. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of hope is seen in St. Maria Faustina. St. Faustina was called by God to become a religious sister and to receive his merciful love. Jesus asked her to tell the world about his mercy because people needed hope. People can struggle with despair, fearing they cannot overcome sin, or be afraid they won't be forgiven. Jesus gives us the virtue of hope, asking us to trust Him for our personal salvation. St. Faustina lived this hope and teaches us to pray, Jesus, I trust in you. Let us ask St. Faustina to pray for us, that we may grow in hope. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Crock, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. With any physical activity over time, our bodies begin to change. We might get stronger, faster, or become more resilient to injury. Even if we don't see physical changes, we know something is happening on the inside. In our spiritual lives, conversion of heart takes a similar path. As we pray, receive the sacraments, study scripture, and serve others, we begin to see changes, such as growth in virtue and more love of neighbor. St. Teresa of Avila encourages us on this journey. It is a dangerous thing to be satisfied with ourselves. In Summa Theologica, St. Thomas Aquinas describes St. Paul's conversion as a sudden reception of grace. Quote, Paul, suddenly, when he was in the midst of sin, his heart was perfectly moved by God. Jesus, we pray to be open to your grace for a conversion of heart. Amen. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn. We are thrilled to have you with us this morning as we welcome back our good friends, Madeline Pesavento and Kathy Scanlon. Madeline from Women's Care Center, Kathy from PDHC. Good morning, ladies. 
Good morning. Good morning. Dave. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Good morning, Cam. So you were with us uh, back on December 21st. And reminder to our friends that may have missed that episode of the cafe, you can find the podcast at stgabrielradio.com on the St. Gabriel Cafe podcast page. So last time we really didn't get into your stories about how you came to pro-life ministry. So Madeline, give us uh, give us your story. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was reflecting, and especially for those who didn't get to hear the first episode, there was a little bit of, of nuggets in that one, but... Lots of nuggets. <laughs> what are you talking about? She's just saying she has many more today. Yes. That's it. <laughs> many more today. Um, and I am excited to, you know, just share with your listeners um, how much prayer and, and conversion and supportive life can make a difference. But my story uh, really falls hand in hand with my conversion into the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came into the church having a really pretty atheist background and uh, was exploring faith through a lot of different outlets, ultimately found the Catholic Church, found that to be, of course, as we all know, the true faith. Uh, But through that process, you know, I was in a job, uh, Fortune 25 corporate background, doing, you know, very successful after Mm -hmm. college. And at that time, I was covering seven states. So I was a sales specialist traveling, uh, I don't know, 90% of my job. Uh, and enjoying it, but I did start to look around. And at that time, I was looking for something similar. So I was interviewing around for other medical sales positions, and I was not feeling um, called or fulfilled to any of them. It all felt the same. And of course, at that time, I was becoming Catholic, going through RCIA. I was around a very secular, you know, group of individuals. I loved that in some ways because as my faith was awakening, I had these opportunities to share the joy that it was bringing me. So I I loved that in a way, but it also felt a little bit isolating. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your atheism? Was it, there is no God or is it, was it it more of a, uh, I just, I haven't discovered, I don't know what's out there, more of an agnosticism. I, it was somewhere in between, depending on the day you might catch me. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that depending on uh, influences, of course, in my life, uh, you know, I had some family members that I think were a little bit more ardent. Uh, There is no God. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, it's a little shocking to think back on, but I do think that that's, um, you know, when we're thinking about uh, individuals coming into the church, they're so... I think oftentimes if you grow up not knowing any bit of the truth, it really can, it it can be a long journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there somebody accompanying you? In a way, I, um, I had some friends, I think that were willing to have conversations with me. Uh, And then I think honestly, turning to good books was, was a big piece, but, um, there is so much out there, but I think it, it takes looking for it. And that's probably half the battle. So really, um, exploring, researching, um, yeah. And just starting that journey. I did ultimately meet my now husband. So he was a big walk in that. And I always share with individuals who might have an opportunity to help someone convert into the faith, really just, um, answering questions truthfully and with joy. You know, I think that um, we always say, 
loving one another and loving one another is calling one out of their sin, but also doing it in such a joyful way. And I think that my husband really lived that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, coming to the Women's Care Center, I mentioned on the last show that I met someone from Women's Care Center at my wedding and I didn't know, but she was going to be seeking me out directly after that. But I was at the time leaving for a three week honeymoon. So I had a message in the airport before I left. We're looking for a director for our centers. I'd like to have a conversation with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting my laptop out, I'm prepping my resume. And my husband says, we're on. We're about to leave for our honeymoon. <laughs> if this if this makes sense, it'll be here when we return. And that was hard for me, but uh, we left on our honeymoon. And actually, I can remember being on a train ride and listening to kind of a pro life podcast, and and the priest was saying. Um, not everyone has the opportunity to devote, you know, their career, their life to to working in the pro life world. But if you can, you should. And that was like a huge wake up call for me because it wow. was a big decision. Uh, but when I came back, yeah, I think I was pretty set on making the switch. So um, it's been a, you know, it, it, there's a lot that that comes with it. Now I get to work with individuals that are, you know, vibrantly living the faith. Um, so I have less opportunity to convert. You know, it's kind of an interesting plus minus. Um, but it's helped, you know, of course, me fall even more deeper in my conviction and my mm-hmm. um, my faith. Mm-hmm. So. Madeline, where were you in your pro-life stance? Did it come once you converted or was it something that maybe was always in the background and then just developed as you continued to learn? It, it really came through my conversion. Um, you know, I can think back to uh, my younger days, and I would say that I was never like a strong pro-abortion individual, but I was always one of those people that said, well, you know, who am I? Who am I to, you know, to say what someone else should do? Um, and really it was through my conversion and, and understanding, you know, the the dignity of human life that every individual deserves a shot at life that, um, that, that came about. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I want to jump back to a comment, Madeline, that you had made too about accompanying people on their, on their journeys. Mm-hmm. And when you're having these conversations and you don't know the answer, be honest and say, right. you know, that that's a great question. Let's find it together. And, and that resource, um, one of the beautiful things of the church, you know, we, we have these resources, we have these answers, go to the catechism mm-hmm. and, um, every Catholic should own a copy of the catechism of the mm-hmm. Catholic church and open it together mm-hmm. and, and look and, and read it and pray over it. Mm-hmm. And Ascension Press, the app makes it so easy now. That's you can right. just go straight to either the Bible or the catechism and put in a, a keyword so that's a good resource for us all. And it's right there. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, Madeline. thank you for asking. Yeah. Kathy, your story, how did, how did you get involved? Was it directly into PDHC? No, um, I love hearing people's journey. So that was just wonderful hearing more about that, Madeline. Um, for me, um, I know Madeline and I talked about this last time. We had similar upbringings where 
my father, amazing man, but he had really bad experiences as a child growing up in his religion, in the religion of his family. And the experiences were just, it. he didn't experience a loving God. He didn't experience love um, in the family. And so when he was old enough, he joined the military and, you know, they never attended church. Um, great people, but so I didn't have that exposure growing up. Um, and I remember, and I think I shared this last time, it wasn't until I was in fourth grade and we moved and the girl across the street invited me to her church. And, you know, my my dad's experience with religion growing up was not good, but he never interfered with me finding my own path. My parents were super supportive of it, but I never stepped foot in a church of, other than for a funeral or a wedding or something like that. And so she invited me to her church in a youth group night. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I went with her. We ended up becoming best friends. And so that was kind of the start of my journey, um, but it wasn't in the Catholic faith. Um, it wasn't until high school, and I would say I was a lukewarm, like, churchgoer. I'd go, I wouldn't go, you know. And then, of course, when you go off to college, um, if you don't have that that firm foundation, you know, I can't say that I attended church on a regular basis. I went to Ohio State, um, but occasionally I would go. Um, but it wasn't until high school that I met an individual who was a very strong um, Catholic, um, very strong Catholic family. And he was just a wonderful person. And um, so we dated towards the end of my high school years. And one of the things that we would do together is we would go to church. We would go to mass together. And that is really, I just remember sitting in mass going, wow, there is so much more to this. And that was like my awakening, my, the beginning of really what I feel like is my journey into the Catholic faith. So it was like, I love how God works because he was setting my foundation at the time because then, um, and my husband corrected me from our last session. It's been 38 years, not 36 years. So, um, hun, if you're listening, um, just wanted to correct that, but COVID, COVID messes everybody <laughs> yeah. up. So. I lost two of those years. No. Um, but when I met my husband, such a strong Catholic and such a strong Catholic family and his mother and father were two of the most impactful individuals in my entire life and just such a strong firm foundation in their faith. They lived it, they breathed it. Um, and so when I met my husband, it was just natural. Um, so that's when I converted to Catholicism is before we got married. Um, he went through my RCIA classes with me. Um, I think I shared this last time, but sitting around the kitchen table with Father Hart and him just taking me through all the sacraments one by one and just what an amazing experience that was and sharing that with my husband you know was a great experience too and so that just ignited my faith and since then you know i have just continued to grow i think what i have found is that personal relationship that i was missing 
um, as I've grown and matured in my faith and being surrounded by so many individuals that share the faith. And like Madeline said, you know, I came from corporate America, you know, and my dad was an amazing person. He was such a hard worker. He started as a milkman and ended up being a regional sales manager for um, this dairy company. He worked his way up. So that was my, that was how I approached things. I always worked hard, um, moved up the ladder in every job I ever had. Um, But then it's like I was feeling like something was missing and just my prayer life was growing, my personal relationship was growing, and I really just started praying about, God, please use me. I want to do something more meaningful with my life. I loved my jobs. I loved my people. I loved my team. But there was just this missing, uh, I don't, I can't explain Mm. it other than it was just missing. And so I just really started praying about it and uh, seeking, you know, his will, asking for his wisdom and his discernment. Um, you know, to just pour into my life and just bring me to where he wanted me to be. And a good friend of mine um, told me that there was a director of development position coming available at PDHC. Thank you, Monica. (laughs) Um, She's my best friend. Um, And again, I think being surrounded by so many strong Catholics has also been part of my journey. Um, But I was like, this is it. So I prayed about it. I interviewed, I got the job and what a journey it's been ever since then. And I moved into the president's role in 2020. And again, just getting to live my faith through my work and what, what, what better, you know, Mm -hmm. mission than to save lives. So. We're talking about the faith journeys of two of our community's pro-life leaders, Kathy Scanlon from PDHC, Madeline Pesavento from Women's Care Center. What was your pro-life orientation like uh, coming coming through this journey? It was never like a conviction to me. Like I feel like it was in the background, but nothing that I ever stood up for or really gave much thought. Um, But... As my faith has grown, um, you know, I would say, you know, it's been decades now that I've really, it's been a big part of my life. Um, But just that transition and that growth, um, I just, it wasn't in the forefront of my thoughts. Like it wasn't something I stood up for, but definitely now it is. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the blessings of this community too, and I think of your story, Kathy, uh, and we had uh, Mike and Peggy Hartshorn on, mm-hmm. uh, on on Monday. And what mentors they've been to everyone in, in our community. How important it is to have somebody to help you on mm-hmm. not just the in, kind of the broad faith journey, but when you start getting specific and you start getting an in, intentional about a certain aspect of that journey, mm-hmm. to have a mentor mm-hmm. along somebody that's walked Mm-hmm. that path and then can kind of you know steer you along i think uh, peggy was that person for you oh and still or is, is that person is for that you? person yeah. for me um and mike is on our board and so just their involvement their story their impact in the pro-life community i mean they've been involved since the 70s mm-hmm. and she just is such an incredible mentor to me 
like she's my hero. I call her the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> she's just going, 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 going. And when you go to a heartbeat conference, everybody wants to see Peggy. Mm-hmm. It's like she just gets surrounded. She's just so authentic mm-hmm. and just so genuine, just full of knowledge. And yeah, she's wonderful. And kind of one comment I wanted to add, because I know a lot of the listeners probably don't have the opportunity to work in the pro-life world or in mm-hmm. the ministry world. And I think what I've come to recognize working with so many Catholics supporting pregnancy centers is Catholics are, you know, Catholics are successful. Catholics are, you know, there's a reason we're virtuous, we're um, seeking good, good, we're um successful. And so I I know it's a silly thing to sometimes miss that opportunity. You know, I get to work every day. I think about a time like COVID, it was so it was so nice to be around individuals that um kind of had the right outlook on things, but you know, if if some of the listeners don't have the opportunity to to be a part of a ministry every day, what a wonderful opportunity, you know, to just be a witness every day, find those little opportunities to help someone uh, see the faith, uh, just share, you know, what's going on in your life with individuals around you. Because I think for both Kathy and I, it did take those little, those little conversations, those little nuggets, those little individuals that, um, that ultimately brought us into the church. And really, it's as easy as opening opening up a bulletin, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. in, in your parish and looking for for those opportunities to connect with people or with ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that for a moment. How are how are you guys, um, uh, Women's Care Center and PDHC? How do you cooperate with parish activities, and and how do they support your ministries? Wow. Um, I say this all the time, but we truly could not do what we do without our amazing church partners. You know, I mean, being a resource for our parishes and them being a resource for us, you know, being part of walking with moms in need, you know, um, being that pregnancy center resource um, when a woman in a church family um, has the need for those services, Um, having the opportunity to speak Um, We spoke at several of our church partners this past weekend for Sanctity of Human Life. Um, But, you know, the Knights of Columbus, you know, the women's groups, the um, I recently spoke at um, St. Agatha in the with the Daughters of Isabella. It's just those opportunities to connect and help people get involved Um, through prayer. You know, we have some amazing prayer warriors through our church partners, volunteers. You know, these are opportunities for us to share about the ministry and bring other people in to serve. Um, It's like God uses these opportunities. Um, Diaper drives, material aid support, financial support, you know, Bottles for Life campaigns um, in in their missions. Um, there are so many ways that we interact with our church families, um, and we're just so thankful because we truly couldn't do what we do without them. Thanks for bringing up the Knights of Columbus. Also, the uh, their uh, pro life commitment really is there's no question. I mean, they, they've they've been at this and they're stalwart and they're and they're dedicated. 
very practically their work with ultrasound machines Mm -hmm. was or is a game changer we're women's care center pdhc beneficiaries absolutely yes Mm -hmm. and uh, you know just a a direct uh finish the story for me because they they help Mm -hmm. centers receive ultrasound machines yes a direct you know thank you to church of the resurrection and saint brendan upcoming uh you know we performed something like 3,500 ultrasounds last year that's a lot (laughs) that's a lot i mean our medical advisors like having a hard time keeping up but um we uh allowing a woman as early as possible and as often to see her baby and connect via ultrasound. The Knights of Columbus have been an integral part in our pregnancy centers and pregnancy centers across the country. Mm -hmm. So I would say most often, if you walk into a pregnancy center, the ultrasound can be credited at least in large part back to Knights of Columbus. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has been uh, an essential uh, support for pregnancy centers. Do women often come in for an ultrasound? Or is that... So that's... Something that you make known that's available, yes, early in the pregnancy. You know, it, it it's very it it's such an important aspect of what we do. Um, a lot of times they're coming in because they want to know how far along they are, so that they know what type of an abortion that they would be able to get. Um, you know, they that's their initial that's their initial thoughts, and. So to be able to have that intimate moment where they are seeing and hearing their baby's heartbeat for the first time is undeniable. And um, last year, over 90% of abortion-vulnerable individuals who saw their baby's heartbeat on an ultrasound machine chose life. Crazy. So over 90. Wow. It's actually over 90. So nationally, I think it's in the 80s. Wow. But I, I... I liken the difference in a pregnancy center because of the amount of time Mm -hmm. that we spend with an individual, that personal consultation. Like we are really sitting and listening. I mean, talking about Peggy Hartshorn, who, um, you know, wrote the love approach, which is what we use in our centers. You know, we listen and learn. So we sit down with that individual and we may be the only person that's really listening to her. Right. Um, you know, we tell her she can when others are telling her she can't. But it's like really listening and learning about her challenges and her obstacles. You know, every individual is unique. And so, you know, I, I've heard Peggy say often, too, you know, the best alternative to an abortion is another person. It's that relationship mm-hmm. with an individual who's really in a crisis situation or really struggling, to have somebody really sit there and listen to their personal challenges and obstacles, that in itself is huge. And so then it's you're educating them on their options, you know, talking about adoption, making a life plan, um, talking about parenting, and we do educate on abortion. Mm. A lot of times that in itself um, helps women really think through that decision because when they understand what happens or what's involved with an abortion, sometimes they're like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize that. So we are truth. We speak truth. Um, and truth is on our side. Um, and so we educate them on abortion and, you know, the risk and the effects of it. Um, and then we, we give her her value 
how she's seen through God's eyes. So showing her she is valued, she is loved, and giving her a vision beyond her temporary set of circumstances. And then, um, you know, empowering her, giving her extension of services and resources that could be other obstacles that are in her way. So we use the love approach and it's just about relationships and just Mm -hmm. building. building And finding out very simply what their needs are. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about caring for uh, women that are in uh, vulnerable, um, maybe perhaps an unwanted pregnancy. I also want to talk about uh, the men that, that are involved. But our guests are Kathy Scanlon from PDHC, Madeline Pesavento from Women's Care Center. Do you have any stories of, um, of that ultrasound moment when you kind of yeah. see, see the change? I do. I, I can think of. I can think of a more broad story and Mm -hmm. then even one that just happened recently. You know, you think of these ways that individuals are praying for care centers and these God moments. And um, we had a woman that came to us and she had some past abortions. And uh, we recognized that the ultrasound that she would see that day was a baby further along, really 10 weeks or so, but further along than she would have ever seen um, or have have had a baby in the past. Mm. And so, um, you know, it was, a, it was a big responsibility for the nurse to sit with her and help her understand what she was about to see on that screen because it was going to be a big experience for her um, and just to help her prepare. So she, you know, she had her 10-week ultrasound and she saw little dimples on that baby's Mm. face. And what's kind of funny is you probably wouldn't see dimples on a baby's face. They don't have enough fat at that point in time, but God was showing her something and Mm. she had dimples and that, you know, she just kept staring at that photo when she left. And so, um, there are these little, these little things that happen. And, and going back to that experience, like I've had three anatomy scans now with babies and, um, they're fast, they're clinical. Is that different from an ultrasound? What's an anatomy? it's, it's It's the ultrasound. Okay. But I mean, spine, hand, arm, it's, there's nothing there's nothing loving about that experience and yeah, to, to just slow it down. And so the more general story is I think we hear over and over again that a woman comes for her ultrasound and she has an experience to see that this is a real baby, but she goes back out into the world and all the pressure comes sweeping back. Right. Mm. I mean, everyone's telling her she can't do it, but then coming back, coming back, coming back for that ultrasound helps keep that baby real. So just helping her see that growth, inviting her back week after week, um, really does make a big difference. And how important for you guys to be available to accompany the woman at that point, because there may or may not have been a commitment to abortion at that point. And, and now there's just even more anxiety when you have people perhaps very close to the mother mm-hmm. saying, you shouldn't go forward with this. And, but now she's seen this ultrasound. She sees, you know, the fingers moving, yeah. you know, the baby's moving. But you guys are really lifesavers at, at that point to accompany the woman and just to let her know that she and her baby are loved. 
it's huge. I think it's the most important thing. Um, I have a story that I can share. Um, and this was written by one of our consultants. So I had asked her to kind of from her point of view, you know, we have God moments every day. Like we get to see hearts and minds transform and changed. And like Madeline said, taking that time with the ultrasound is key. So these nurses, when we do an ultrasound appointment, we set aside an hour and a half to two hours. That includes the personal consultation. You go to a doctor's office and you're there, what, 15 minutes? You know, just because it is more clinical, where this is more about showing her personal attention and love and hope and support. And so taking that time to really show her every aspect of that baby on the screen and to hear women say, you know, we have a role of a chaperone in our centers and I have been a chaperone. And that's just sitting in the ultrasound room and watching the nurse and this, this new mom, like that intimate relationship is so special, but hearing women say, oh, I thought it was just a clump of cells. That's what they told me. It's just a clump of cells. We hear that all the time, you know, but to see her baby waving at her or bouncing around, it's just such a joyful moment. And it's a very intimate moment and it's a very life-changing moment. But this is um, one of my uh, consultants wrote this about one of the most powerful, you were talking about conversion stories. Um, so I'll just read it real quick. But she said, it was a normal day at PDHC when I received a call from a sidewalk counselor outside an abortion clinic telling me that there was a woman on her way to our center who was contemplating abortion and needed our help. I greeted the sweet woman at the door who appeared so distraught. She shared that she had just been at her appointment for an abortion when she felt like she wasn't sure if she could do this, so she left in the middle of that appointment and came to our doorstep. She explained that she felt pressured to have an abortion, even though she wasn't sure if this is what she wanted. Through the few hours talking and crying with her, I learned that she was out of a job and did not have stable housing for herself and her family. The thought of another child entering her situation seemed daunting. As our nurse began her ultrasound, I started praying and remained in prayer throughout that some way the Lord would break through her circumstances to make a decision for life. During the ultrasound, where we saw her sweet babe moving, she made a commitment to choose life for this child. We talked more about her situation and God's plan for her life. She was open to prayer, and so we prayed openly, asking the Lord to be so near to her. As we finished her visit, she received a call that was a phone interview for a job she was applying to. <laughs> I left her as she took this interview. When she came out, I asked how the interview went, and she looked at me in amazement, saying that she got the job. Before I could utter congratulations, she shared that she also just got an email that she is off the housing wait list and there is a house ready for her and her children. This was one of the most tangible answered prayers that I have seen in my four years as a consultant. I could barely believe that this mama came to us without a job or a house, which are two of the most challenging barriers, and left with a decision to choose life, a job, and a house. I looked at her in amazement, just telling her how much our God loves her. This was and still is an encouragement to me of the power of prayer in mm. any situation. And I just thought that was such a lovely story. This is what 
these are the people that we get to work with every day. Their mm-hmm. commitment and their passion and their heart for right. these women is just second to none. And so it's just such an honor and such a blessing. But to see God working through prayer mm-hmm. is just amazing. And Kathy, it's stories like that that remind us that it's not merely just a resource center. It's ministry and walking with people and sharing the goodness of God. And wow, so beautiful. Yeah, for sure. And I know you wanted to talk to about how we serve men. And yeah. Yes. Let Madeline yes. start there. Yeah. If, if we're open to that right now. Heck yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. I, um, this is a, a piece that, um, I just find really important and, um, you know, it is, it's often that she, that she is coming, you know, with father of the baby to women's care center. And it, you know, it's a standard that we're sitting down with her first to understand, you know, what pressure she might be facing, what support she's experiencing, but, um, it is pretty swiftly, you know, when we're giving her the results of that pregnancy test or bringing her to the ultrasound room that, um, if we can have him in the room and have him hear those abortion procedures too, I mean, a a caring man, Mm -hmm. um, is going to hear that she's going to experience, you know, this kind of traumatic experience. So, uh, helping him, uh, understand the truth is a big uh, piece of what the care center does as well. But then, um, you know, we talk a lot about helping moms choose life, but what about after that baby's born? And um, we've seen so much success in our parenting classes for moms. We have classes, you know, to help moms prepare for their first baby, moms uh, to help moms prepare for all the toddlers they have running around at home. But I think we recognized a gap and that's the fathers, the, 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 the men that are supporting these children. And so it was about a year and a half ago that we initiated our strong fathers series. And it was important for us to, uh, identify strong Catholic men in the community to teach these classes, uh, knowing that they would, uh, be able to kind of deliver some of this information in a more effective way. So we have six men from St. Catherine, dads who are teaching our strong fathers series and just one story that that i could share um you know, I want to remind uh, Madeline Pesaveno describing the experience the programs that they have now for men yes, at women's at care women's center care center yep. correct and uh you know we've had we've had probably about 15 or more men every class that we've held uh, for the last year and a half. And we had a guy who, you know, a, a father who came to the center and, you know, he walked in swiftly. He looked upset. He, you know, what's going on today? And, you know, ta- tattoos head to toe. And he walks into the class. And I know uh, Christina Kiefer, who runs our Strong Fathers program, she's outside getting everything prepared for when they're done. And she witnesses him leave class with tears Mm. streaming down his face. And I mean, that's a shocking thing to see someone that looks so hardened on the outside with tears streaming down their face. And so she had an opportunity to talk with the instructor after. And the, the talk was about forgiveness. And during, you know, the strong father's class, he vocalized that he was so tired of being angry. Mm. His whole life, he's just been angry. And Mm. he wanted to just let go of all the anger that he felt and just be able to, you know, enjoy and be happy. And 
and and supportive. And I think what we've recognized is that men also need a space. You know, men are wounded too. They need a space to sit with other men and discuss fatherhood. So um, it's been really impactful. And, you know, on the other side of things, hearing from the moms that they're now parenting on the same page as Mm -hmm. fathers without, you know, having to kind of bring that home and share what they're learning. They're both learning it at the same time. It's been really wonderful. Impressed by how thoughtful the program is because Mm -hmm. it just doesn't jump in to more of the practical ways Mm -hmm. to to be a father to to care for Mm -hmm. your wife and and new child it's really taking care of the men there first Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. addressing the issues of um of forgiveness or of anger Mm -hmm. and first things first Mm -hmm. right it's what we saw earlier in some of the um uh saint francis de sales you don't jump into chapter 12 mm-hmm. <laughs> right you know you start in chapter mm-hmm. one and you take care of uh, of the brokenness mm-hmm. and and the things that are um hindering your relationship with god mm-hmm. and then that is impacting your mm-hmm. your human relationships as well yeah. that mentorship piece is super important we do the same thing as far as the education but it's also monthly um, group gatherings where they share a meal together they leave with a meal to take home and but it's about having those conversations about you know manhood being a strong man um, growing in their faith Um, and that's something where you know we have on average 100 dads in our dad focus programs Um, but that mentorship piece um, is just more that one-on-one in small groups and just giving them the opportunity, like Madeline said, to share their fears and their stress. You know, they are entering a challenging point in their life, too, where they weren't expecting to be a dad or they didn't want to be a dad. And ha- have helping them grow through that situation and think beyond their current circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so just, again, that value and vision for them, too, is super important. And we've really started focusing on men through abortion recovery, too. So we have an amazing abortion recovery program for women, you know, and one out of four women, I think it's closer to one out of three now, have experienced an abortion in their past. And I always like when I'm talking to our church partners, it's like, you know, 54% of them are Christian. They claim to be Christian. So they're sitting in our church pews And I always envision that's somebody to your left and somebody to your right that's really struggling from a past abortion decision. And it, when we say we care about the women and men we serve, we care about them emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And it's taking care of them and taking them through a healing journey. It's not a one and done. It's a journey. And so making sure that men are receiving healing too, because maybe they were in a situation where they didn't have a say, you know, Mm -hmm. there's situations like that where they struggle with that. Or I've talked to men who are struggling from the fact that they drove their girlfriend to get the abortion or they paid for the abortion. And these are men that are decades of suffering that, you know, seventies. I talked with a man who was in his early eighties And it was like 
he thought about that every single day. Mm-hmm. And so there's... Imagine carrying it for that long. Mm-hmm. It's and, yeah. But we hear that from the women, too. It's yeah. like, normally, it's like a five to seven year time frame that a woman will seek help for a past abortion trauma. But now with chemical abortions, you know, and in Franklin County, that represents 87% of abortions in Franklin County in 2022 were via the abortion pill. So we are seeing women who have experienced that trauma in their home alone, you know, and they're reaching out for help much sooner. It's like it's so traumatic because they they realize they are their uh, their own abortion mm. provider. Mm. And so they revisit that scene every day. And so they're reaching out to us for help much, much sooner. It's yeah. immediate. Kathy Scanlon from PDHC, Madeline Pesavento from Women's Care Center. What used to be in, in a clinic or, or an office now is happening in their home. Exactly. And imagine just the, uh, it's no longer a sanctuary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's no longer a, a safe place. It, it's, they're reminded of. Every day. Every day. And that's what we hear. Um, so at PDHC, we do provide abortion pill reversal services. It's successful 64 to 68% of the time. So if she takes that first abortion pill in the clinic and they leave them with a brown paper bag for the second set of pills that they take at home. Um, And if what we have found, and I've talked with individuals personally, the regret is immediate. They're in a crisis situation. They feel like this is their only option they feel like they have no other options, so they take that first pill. But then when they've taken that first pill and they've swallowed it, reality sets in and they realize, what did I just do? So they immediately start looking for help. So if they're able to um, find the Abortion Pill Rescue Network, which we are affiliated with Heartbeat International's Abortion Pill Rescue Network, um, they will connect them with the local pregnancy center that provides abortion pill reversal services. So search engine, search Very abortion, important. abortion pill mm-hmm. rescue or mm-hmm. reversal. Mm-hmm. Abortion t- pill rescue network. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's nationwide mm-hmm. and they will connect them to the nearest um, pregnancy center that provides those abortion pill mm-hmm. reversal services. More and more that, that that's, we have to have those words on our lips. We do. Um, because time is it's so urgent yeah. mm-hmm. and and to be able to to make that referral yeah um we get them into the immediate. center immediately yeah we do that ultrasound we come back to the ultrasound and we're looking for three things we're looking for the viability of the pregnancy so we're looking for the heartbeat we're looking for the age the gestation of the baby and we're looking to make sure it's in the right place mm-hmm. we have actually found um, life-threatening ectopic pregnancies in our ultrasounds Again, remember, our ultrasounds are done by nurses. They're highly skilled and highly trained. We have doctors that oversee our ultrasounds. We have medical policies and procedures. Um, so they are immediately connected with one of our doctors who provides the service. He will have conversations with them and get them started on the abortion pill reversal protocol. Okay. Um, we have just about four minutes left. Yeah. Are you able to stay in touch with uh, your alumni at all? 
with the women that have come the through women. the centers? Oh my yeah. goodness, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I mentioned last time that we our doors are open from cradle to kindergarten. So in the short term, absolutely. You know, we we see moms that have kids in school and maybe a younger one and they're coming for class and it's really become their small group. Um, I really have enjoyed um becoming friends with so many of the moms that come for class. My my office is right next to the classroom, so I get to listen a little bit and get my own parenting tips um, from classes. But even even way down the line, you know, we have we have women that um, that are still walking with their counselor in many ways. I think that's one of the beautiful things about being staffed in the way we are. You know, we have women um, who have been on staff as counselors with Women's Care Center since the beginning for 15 years. So they, they've really become a, fa- a family member and, and, and friend. So that, that walk and that journey continues. We still have, um, you know, the goal is, is self-sufficiency. So in some ways it's okay if, if she gets to that point and we say goodbye, but, um, we also have, a, a, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of experiences too, where, um, she's coming back for a counseling session and her youngest child is five years old. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. so yeah. And she knows you're there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love it. Love it. How can our friends uh, connect with each of you? Well, they can go to our website, which is supportlifepdhc.org. Lots of great information on there. Um, There's also phone numbers. Um, You know, we operate a 24-7 hotline, so those numbers are on there. We also operate a 24-7 care line for our abortion recovery programs. So those are listed on there. So supportlifepdhc.org. Mm-hmm. And similarly for Women's Care Center, supportwomenscarecenter.org. And, uh, you know, we just want to share that, you know, prayer, it is effective. So please pray for, for our pregnancy centers. And, you know, at Women's Care Center, 89% of every dollar goes directly to serving moms and babies. So mm. your support does make a difference, and we're thankful for it. Friends, let's make it a point today to pray for that woman, that man, um, that are at a decision point mm-hmm. today that uh, mm-hmm. they may visit one of your centers and and find joy and love. Yeah. So, thank Madeline you. Pesaveno, Kathy Scanlon, thanks for being in the cafe with us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Coming up tomorrow, we'll be speaking with Brian O'Donnell and Jotham Allwine about how they serve their community in the hilltop here in Columbus. So wonderful, wonderful morning. And I'm just so grateful for the for the work that you guys do. Thank you. So Amanda, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen. Feast day of St. Francis de Sales. Grab a piece of cake. See you tomorrow. <laughs>